Have you got a waveform? Yeah, I've got a waveform. I've got two currently running. One's playing back to me. Okay, that's a bit weird. If when it were just me and Nathan, it's going to sound very strange. Tune in this week as Nathan and Paul talk to an invisible spirit. (laughs) You can't hear that they can. Right, okay. Yeah, the playback of the top one's ended. I'm just recording on the second one now. But at least now when we sync, it'll be after the double, so, you know. Yes, this is true. The question is, how many times are we going to be interrupted for coughs, sneezes, or other um, cold and flu-related things? See Nathan coughing in the background there whilst muted. Handy mute button just there. (laughs) That's a handy mute button. It is a handy mute button. The only danger is I leave it on for ages and then I become the invisible ghost spirit. (laughs) (laughs) And we just laugh at you. I've been trying to make a Shakespeare joke with, I don't know, Hamlet on the battlements or something, because the episode is called Ariel, which is a Shakespeare reference, I think. I feel like there's a Shakespeare reference in here somewhere, but I'm just not intelligent enough to figure it out. I don't know enough Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah, neither do I. No. <laughs> is there going to be a remedial nerding podcast uh, Shakespeare edition? No, Shakespeare is not. <laughs> Shakespeare is not nerding. Well, it, it's nerd culture it's in the not. sense that... He features in Doctor Who. That makes him nerdy. Not, it, Though it does not. It's a Venn diagram. He invented the word quim. He's a friend to all. Shakespeare is far too mainstream to be a nerd. He may have been a nerd oh, in the day. Hold on. He is but too he's mainstream not to be a nerd. Aren't we super excited to go and see the biggest grossing film in human history in a couple of weeks? That's less of your pedantic, <laughs> relentless logic, Nathan. I think maybe we should start the episode. This week's episode of Remedial Nerding, the podcast where three nerds force each other to watch something that they really should have already seen. Your friendly neighbourhood nerds this week are Nathan, Dan and me, Paul. Remember, there's no such thing as a bad nerd. So we're episode 9 of Firefly, 10 of the podcast, I believe. Yep, that's correct. Ariel. Possibly a Shakespeare reference, question mark? It's a Simon and River episode. I'm super happy about it, guys. <laughs> it's also the one where you alluded to before. Shepherd Book was obviously not available this week for filming. Oh, we dropped yes. him off somewhere. I never mentioned the fact that he's not there again. I was going to ask if you think there's a uh, story reason, but no, I strongly suspect it was. Ron Glass is in the Polynesian archipelago this week. And so rather than just do a like phone-in where he's um, yeah standing behind a frosted glass window or something, they said, oh yeah, he's uh, at an abbey. We've dropped him off on retreat somewhere. Yeah. I think, as a summary for this episode, because there's a lot that goes on it, I think the uh, the fact that it has to have a, a previously in Firefly, after the little intro, uh, the first bit of which is Kaylee saying to Simon, well, Simon, sorry, when Simon says, what are you doing? And Kaylee says, crime. That pretty much sums up what happens in this episode. Yeah, it's been a little while since we've had an episode where they just do a crime. So Simon's motivation in this is his ongoing storyline with or his ongoing motivation, I should probably say, with um, trying to help River find her way back to some kind of humanity. He thinks that'll be helped by going to a major hospital in a high-tech core planet, where they happen to be anyway. And in order to uh, get everyone else on board with this idea, he says, while we're there, 
why don't you go to this place I've marked on the map? It's full of incredibly valuable medicines. And fill your boots, lad. Or in this case, fill the uh, cadaver transport <laughs> trolley thing. <laughs> oh, there's a couple of things I noticed in this. They, uh, yeah, the coffin, well, they're not coffins, but the cadaver transporters look remarkably like Thule uh, <laughs> roof racks for cars. Like car roof racks on a gurney. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know if you noticed the uh, the space ambulance that they use. It's a Russian helicopter. Like a Russian helicopter, yes. <laughs> or rather, rather, a really basic fiberglass mock up of a Russian hind. I do like the fact that in this one they have done the equivalent of go down the scrap heap, find an old transit, and paint it white. Well, it's more a case of they've gone down to the old scrap heap, found the chassis of a transit, and also found all the internals from around, around the, the scrap heap and rebuilt it, like scrap heap challenge style. If they can do that, surely they could just sell that on for profit. Well, that would be honest work. It's difficult for me because this is the first episode where the Alliance is unambiguously evil. But only some of the Alliance, not all of the Alliance. Well, yeah, I guess they're divided into unambiguously evil and just general bystanders. Also, one guy is not very good at his job. Assuming that we're going not just Star Wars black and white, we're going a bit of shades of grey. They're to the darker end of the scale. Mm. What are we doing? Oh, crime. Crime. Lots of bits of uh, flashbacks to the train job and uh, safe. Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, it's a train job and safe. The last two times they're doing crime. Crime. But it also sets up Jane and Summer for the episode as well. I was uh, just going to see if we could get a uh, a flash forward uh, position on Jane's good-bad scale from Nathan for this episode. Where is he sitting on your scale of douchiness for Jane? Well, as you know, I've kind of given up judging him on a moral scale. It's more like a a poorly restrained animal. <laughs> and this time they you know, led him off the leash a bit too long. You can't really <laughs> be angry at him. They did give him far too much rope. Yeah, it's a pretty dark episode, really. It is. It starts off quite benignly with everyone just sort of sat around Simon River eating some god-awful rice. That smells like crotch. It does smell <laughs> like crotch. Yeah, Wash and Zoe have just come in and they're discussing about it's a core planet and Wash wants to go and do some sightseeing with Zoe and she's really not interested. Because there's scanners and feds everywhere. Yeah, Wash is probably of the crew the most ambivalent about the core. Like, uh, Zoe and the captain are clearly wildly antagonistic, as you would probably expect. I'd imagine that if there's flight schools anywhere, they're going to be more towards the coreward planets. Yeah, it's previously been, previously been established that it comes from an in, Wash comes from an industrial planet, so certainly not the Wild West. But on the other hand, he can't presumably be too Alliance-friendly or he wouldn't be married to Zoe by now. But that's only a little bit like, going back to Star Wars, Luke going off to join the Academy, because that's how you became a space pilot, mm. was to go and join the Imperial Academy. Yeah. Oh, did anyone else wish that... Uh, Jane had just kind of you know slipped and cut his own tongue off with his knife there, licking <laughs> licking it clean before he puts it on the whetstone. It's not nice. No, there's enough <laughs> horror in this episode already. And this goes dinner goes from Jane, will you stop spitting on your stone at the table? To oh shit, Rivers just sliced you up, boy. It's the way she just comes up so casually and just swipes him across the chest. With a kitchen knife. Yeah, Rivers... Um, he looks better in red. ...tenuous connection to reality has been a ongoing feature, but she hasn't ever been violent before now. I think the most disruptive thing she's done up till now is tear up labels off cans. Oh no, she did throw something across the room. She did throw something across the room and she tore up pages from Future Space Bible. That's true. But this is actually a uh, quantum leap in how difficult it is to deal with on board. Well, I think that comes up in a minute when uh, Mal and Simon... Are discussing it, and uh, and Mal says she's getting worse, isn't she? 
and it kind of forces Simon to acknowledge that fact, which I think was quite important to Mal that Simon is not really angry with them, mm. but he needs them to understand that there's a problem. Maybe see, see Jane once again plumping for the get rid of them. No, it's, he's back to that old routine. They were getting to a position where Jane had accepted River and Simon as part of the crew, and now he's right back to square one of. Now get rid of them. They're not worth it. You know, we can make more money. Despite the it. fact I said this was a Simon and River episode, it's actually I think, if anything, this is a episode that more centres on Jane's internal journey than even Janestown was, because he wasn't really conflicted in that apart from at the very final moments. Yeah. Whereas in this, he spends extended periods of time in a moral uh, pickle. Admittedly, one of his own making because he's a barely sentient monster, but still. Yeah, I was going to say it's, it's, it is a moral pickle of his own making. It's a it's a Tony Stark level of moral pickle of your own making. I'm not really clear what that means. That's the dude with the suit, right? <laughs> it is the du- you yeah. could describe him as the dude with the suit. Yes, as long as by suit you mean one made of you know metal. It's a shame that he doesn't have um, more. If he had some more thematic elements that he'd taken from Thor, I could make jokes about confusing him with the Starks from Game of Thrones, but as it is, there's just no overlap there. So they're still sat around in the hangar playing horseshoes because they've all been locked down on the ship because Mal wants them going nowhere. Grounded? Jane's complaining that they've got no work. Yeah, they're literally grounded. And uh, Jane's comment of a man that can't find work isn't looking hard enough. Yeah, then Simon comes in. I've got work for you. Who's the client? Yeah. Me! Me. It's quite interesting because you, the first thought is you've got no money. We've already established that you've had all your funds frozen. What is this cunning plan of yours? But yeah, for you, the Tony Stark reference, now if, uh, all of Tony Stark's enemies are of his own making. The first one, it was because he was selling weapons to people, and then the big enemy was the guy he worked with, and then it's pretty much. All his enemies stem from him being a weapon monger. <laughs> you know, I hadn't really thought about it like that, but it, but yeah, it is in Iron Man 1, 2, 3, and Avengers Age of Ultron. Well done, Tony <laughs> <Yeah>. Stark. <laughs> Meanwhile, back on Serenity. Yeah, so let's not get distracted by... We'll come to the Avengers and uh, the yeah. Marvel Cinematic Universe in the end. But now Simon has come down with a little drugs display and telling them how much all of the individual vials of uh, medicines are worth. Drugs are bad, okay? I'd be curious to know whether any of those were real words or if he just um, the writer's room made them up. According to the IMDb trivia, there's a uh, one of them is called philianoxetin or something similar. Not in this little speech that he gives, but written down on a bit of paper later on. Oh, it's one of the bits where Mal writes it on his arm. Yeah, exactly. Now, again, slight tangent. Apparently, uh, Patrick Stewart, oh, sorry, Sir Patrick Stewart, used to write some of the uh, the techno babble down on his hands on mm-hmm. set at Star Trek, so he could remember it. Yeah, just to wildly flash forward because that is thematically appropriate. There's a uh, scene later on where they, our crew of merry thieves, are rehearsing to um, imitate hospital staff, and so memorising medical jargon, which I like to think is just a almost verbate, almost candid camera scene into the actors themselves attempting to learn their medical jargon. <laughs> That's a bit like your yeah, good actor actors acting act- to be a bad actor. <laughs> exactly. Actors acting about acting. I like the whole 
mission layout thing that they've got going on. And the whole, this is this bit, and then they cut to the action scene of them doing that bit as it's all being explained. Well, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the uh, setting up the heists in GTA Five. Yeah. Where you've got Simon running it, giving the, uh, the you're talking them through it. Well, it's a yeah, proud tradition in fiction, isn't it? Yeah, you talk about one bit of it, then you go and do that, then you talk about the next bit. I suppose it saves you going over the same instructions time and time again. Another classic of the genre is the camera spinning around the table to make a what would otherwise be quite a boring scene a bit more visually interesting. A bit more dynamic. But also, yeah, discussing the boring preparation parts and cutting away to vignette of people doing the boring preparation parts. Like the scrap heap challenge that's going on at the moment. Yes. Yeah, the, as we've already discussed, apparently actually an incredibly impressive feat of improvised engineering here. That Wash and Kaylee between them can just build a fully functional space helicopter. I think the bit that stood next to the moment, it looks like the nose cone of like a, a Dakota. Ah, and there it is, the fiberglass hind. I like how in that scene Kaylee goes from a little bit miffed that she's been sent to rummage for a scrap heap and not go to somewhere fancy on this core world to instant flip when she finds a shiny part that she likes. Ooh, stabilizers. It's like he's definitely kid in the candy shop. Even though he's just waiting for a dead drop, Jane looks incredibly shifty. Yeah, we had a little biological, uh, biological, biographical detail for Kaylee there smuggled in, which is that she's never been to the core before. Very true. Which I guess is um, fits with her being a quite a bit younger and b deeply provincial. Yes, saying that Persephone was sort of very edge of the core worlds, maybe just the outside edge of the outer out rim territories. Yeah, I think that's what it was. It was the kind of um, Kansas City. It's big, but for Kansas. <laughs> so this, here we have them trying to learn how to, as you said before, Nathan, trying to do the uh, learning by rote, the jargon, and struggling quite badly. Whereas at least Wash and Kaylee are in their element trying to build this helicopter. Their pupils fixed and dilapidated. <laughs> the, the mistakes that they had... The, them pulling off their mistakes and getting them naturally wrong whilst being correct must have been so difficult to do. Yeah, that looks like that was hard work. To be honest, I think the best payoff for this is when they get to the hospital. <laughs> yeah. So spend all this time practicing. They go in, like, yeah, take them to the morgue before they've even said anything other than we've got two stiffs. <laughs> There's a scene a bit like that in uh, The Sting, one of my favourite films, where. I don't know if you know this film, but without wanting to ruin it, because it's a, it's a tremendous twist, but they it's about a group of confidence artists, one of whom is previously very small-time and gets kind of conscripted into the big time for personal reasons, and does exactly what Jane does in this, which is he's memorised his part, so even though it's completely unnecessary, he stands up and delivers <laughs> it like a monologue on stage. I like Jane's line of, if I'd wanted schooling, I would have gone to school. Yes. Hey, so this is the only other Shakespearean reference in this uh, episode that I was able to detect. We've already discussed the uh, the main crew that are crooks are uh, going to pose as medical staff to get in. Simon and River, who are going to the diagnosing room instead of the store cupboard, basically, are going to go in posing as corpses by means of that potion from Romeo and Juliet that apparently makes you look like you're dead. <laughs> That's true. 
It's true. That's <laughs> very good. River's not very happy about it. Well, I wouldn't be. That is an incredible level of trust to put in someone. It's like, here, I need you to give me this injection, which I will not be able to give you any instructions for within a two-minute window, otherwise I'll literally die. <laughs> well, in fact, I'm literally already 90% dead. Yeah, well, I think that's why he trusts Mal to do it, not anyone else. Hmm. Yeah, this kind of harkens back a couple of times to Simon's life before the pilot episode. What was he doing in this van between becoming convinced that River needed rescuing and giving up on civilised society entirely? Well, becoming a kick-ass doctor, probably. Well, apparently so, yes, but... <laughs> yeah, we also get just a, a little window into what his life would have been. Yeah, if he hadn't thrown it thrown it all away to go after um, River. I do quite like Jane talking about giving yeah, Simon a tattoo while he's out. <laughs> <laughs> and then just going back to rehearsing his line over and over again. It's just <laughs> repeating it like a mantra. Yeah, I'm pretty sure those are just <laughs> Thor car boxes spray-painted silver. I think you're right. <laughs> do you think that was a uh, last-minute substitution, or was that always the plan? No, I think that was always the plan, because they, yeah, they look like futuristic body bags that can be stacked on the side of a helicopter uh, yeah Vietnam style the one thing I didn't get with this obviously they want Wash to stay nearby because they're only going to be an hour but in a big hospital like that on a busy planet surely someone else would need to come in and use the, med- the, the helipad yeah they did say they were in on um, the graveyard shift but even so I did wonder if someone was going to come up and bang on the window and say like right are we ready to go then we applied the cortical electrodes, but we weren't able to get a response from either patient. The look on the well done, Jane. The look on the intake doctor's face was just like, and <laughs> like I give a shit. Yeah. So here comes mistake number one, possibly more than one, but don't leave Jane alone with Simon and River. <laughs> Surely it would have made more sense for Mal to take Jane and to leave Zoe with Simon and River. Yeah. Because Mal can deal with Jane. Yeah, but we've kind of... We assume by this point that Jane has already been working on his plan, so maybe... This is maybe giving him too much credit for subtlety. He may have volunteered for that, or tried to arrange that opportunity. True. Because we already know his plan is, while they're still sleeping, slink off and use the telephone. Shop him to the feds. Yep. Let's go slug... I like that... You keep getting the because I'm watching the subtitles. You keep getting the subtitle of "woman's voice indistinct over PA." But it's also confusing because all the subtitles are in yellow, so you can't tell who's talking when it's several people at once. Although you haven't seen it, he's obviously had another phone call with this guy. Yeah, the head of uh, the hospital security. Was he carrying that bag when he walked out? No, I didn't think so. No, he's been in stolen some clothes. <laughs> oh yes, those are the clothes that Simon and River are wearing later. Yeah. When they go from they transition from their pose as corpses phase to their pose as um, staff and patients phase. I do quite like the way that Summer wakes up and she seems fine. Simon wakes up and he seems like he's uh, well, like you at the moment, Nathan. <laughs> and then and then you just hear, her, <laughs> hear River chucking up violently in the background. River vomits. River vomits. <laughs> Quite a lot of this discussion about people smiling between Mal and Zoe. Ah, and it's Doctor Dickhead. Yeah, they've uh, run into some trouble on the on the way down to loot the <laughs> vault, specifically in the form of uh, some guy who wants them to go somewhere else and do a job, as in the job they're wearing the uniform for. 
I didn't notice it before, but he, the uh, the Doctor does have some very sort of military-style frogging around one of his shoulders. I'm not entirely sure what the point of that would be as a Doctor. I'm also not entirely sure why the intensive care unit is in a corridor. <laughs> well, it's not meant to be intensive care, is it? It's um, routine convalescence. It's just that some guy is terrible at his job. <laughs> causing the... Uh... The guy's just had a double bypass. Yeah, he's just convalescing normally, assuming that the doctor doesn't jam him full of some completely nonsense medicine that causes him to almost die. And therefore, Simon to have a big uh, ethical... Well, an ethical dilemma, because that would imply he thought about it for a moment. A uh, call to action that he has to uh, run over and inter- intervene. Despite the fact this is generally not considered wise when you're <laughs> when trying you're to go incognito. the clock, yeah. Yeah. This is most definitely off book as far as the plan goes. I'm pretty sure he's touching both metal bits of the uh, of the defibrillator there. <laughs> I'm sure it's a little rubberized uh, push button that he's got hold of. <laughs> I mean, the thing with this, we didn't mention it last week, although we spoke about it afterwards. We kind of missed the whole river psychic bit last week, and it kind of there's always the hint of it here as well, where she she knows that the guy's about to die before as they come past. However. As we'll come to shortly, I won't consider it a spoiler because it's coming up in the next sort of five minutes. Simon goes on to explain that what they've done is damage her brain, so she can't filter anything. So she's just seeing everything consciously. So it's not so much the fact that she's psychic; she just has no filter. So stuff gets through to her that other people's con- you know, subconscious filters, and they don't notice consciously, which just appears like she's psychic. They've continued to keep things slightly ambiguous because you could make the argument that in that scene, for example, where she was pointing at this guy and it had not yet become apparent that he was um, about to get messed up with, you could make the argument that she's just a genius who can diagnose people on site as she's being wheeled past them. True. True. I think I got a little chuckle from Dan there when uh, <laughs> yeah. Zoe paddled the doctor uh, and then uh, refilled <laughs> to the floor. Clear? Clear. <laughs> that cannot be good for you. Mal and Zoe are pretty competent when it comes to doing crime. Yeah, they're pretty good at crime. Yeah, I don't think we ever see Zoe screw anything up, or at least not yet. Now, what I was expecting here, they're trying to get in the door and their little code tags don't work. And they're then trying to use their own thumbs. Why does Mal manage to use his thumb with the doctor's <laughs> key tag? I, I was I expecting know. to kind of you know, get the arm out of the, uh, yeah. out of the body bag where they've put the, this unconscious doctor... I mean, I didn't think he was going to do a Jane and chop the guy's thumb off. <laughs> but I was expecting him to hold the doctor's hand out and use that. It's one of them little mysteries. I see. When you're at the supermarket and you hear the beep, think of the fun you could be having on Supermarket Sweep. <laughs> There's the notes. Yeah, there we go. I mean, it's only on screen for a fraction of a second. It's awesome. Someone with a lot of time must have paused it to read them and de- decipher it. Yeah, so what we're watching now is uh, Mal and Zoe in the um, storeroom just loading up with varying degrees of care, actually. <laughs> yeah, Zoe is very particular about what she's grabbing and how she's storing it, whereas Mal is literally supermarket sweeping the shelves. So Mal could have fitted more in there. I'm curious to know if anyone outside Britain has supermarket sweep, sweep as a programme. <laughs> Because if not, supermarket sweeping it is going to be a difficult verb to translate. <laughs> I don't know. Go on YouTube, I bet, I bet you'll if probably you type figure it, it out. YouTube, you'll find it. I do like um, computers in the future. This is something common to a lot of programs. Apparently computers in the future announce what they're doing in uh, giant 72-point font at all times. 
<laughs> it's not just a blue bar that's filling up. It says downloading to memory tab. It doesn't just have a little buffering spinny circle thing. No. Sorry, I'm making that extremely petty point while a quite unsettling scene is happening on screen. Poking around inside a, a virtual representation of River's head. Yeah, we are getting Simon incredulously and kind of aghast, discovering the extent of... I kind of want to say mutilation, but that makes me uncomfortable just saying that word. The surgery on uh, River, which has been, I guess, an attempt to make her into a Raz-type psychic super soldier? I don't know. (laughs) Good use of Raz. What a game. For those who don't know what we're talking about, this time it's Psychonauts. I've not played it. Also been re-released on the Mac. It's a a double-fine third-person adventure where you go inside people's heads on psychic summer camp. So is was that Jane at that moment coming back on his plans for getting them arrested? Yeah, I think was that his moment of clarity. Where well, not like, clarity because he continues really with the, he does continue with the plan for a while, but I certainly think that's the point at which he starts having second thoughts. Because he realizes the scale of evil that he's handing her over to and as you say, yeah, also that her responsibility for Hacking at him with a kitchen knife may not have been entirely there. Next, no, he's hurrying him up to get him out again. So even there, before they get to the door, it's like River knows. Hmm. Yeah, it's been harder to defend my. She's completely not psychic. School of thought. Yeah, starting to get to the point where she has to do elaborate tricks rather than just someone. Maybe someone told her outside, which was my previous explanation for stuff. <laughs> See on Simon's face, it's like ah. Fuck. Yeah, he does hold up pretty well mm-hmm. under uh, interrogation, though, as we'll, as we'll see shortly. Although the twist here is that having uh, handed Simon and River over to the feds, they immediately say, lol, no reward for you. Congratulations, you've been arrested as well. Yeah. I really think they would have been wiser to wait until he was actually in prison before they told him that. <laughs> Can we fly somewhere with a beach? A naked beach? He seems far too happy at that prospect. <laughs> Sorry, sir, didn't mean to enjoy the moment. I think the scene we're on now is really Jane repenting of his um, decisions because A, he's not getting rewarded and B, he is being thanked effusively by Simon who thought he was trying to help him all along. Yeah. <laughs> which is the ultimate guilt trip. It's effectively exactly the opposite of what he wanted to happen on both counts. <laughs> They took Christmas away. <laughs> Her crazy ramblings are the best. <laughs> but it's obviously getting getting to Jane quite badly. Is those, are those meant to be allegorical of some way, in some way of what's happening, do you think? Or is it just... I think so, I, yes. Yeah. We get a, a little moral about cryptography in, in this scene, which is, uh, Kaylee, listen in to the security channels, what's on there. Uh, nothing, 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 this one's coded. Oh, that must be important then, they've probably been captured. <laughs> this is the reason why it's a good idea to use cryptography, even if you're completely innocent. Especially if you're completely innocent. But I do like how Kaylee's a, you're an electronic wizard as well as a mechanical one. <laughs> I think it's actually the next episode. No spoilers, we get to see Kaylee fail at something completely. Oh, poor Kaylee. <laughs> she kind of failed spectacularly in the last episode, though. Well, to be fair, I think that was because no one ever let her do any maintenance. <laughs> True. See, Simon is quite impressive in this bit where he uh, actually manages to face this guy down. Yeah, I think that comes from 
having um, a background in wealth and privilege, maybe, that he has that self-assurance that maybe Jane doesn't. He's got a history of um, when he enters the world of social standing and bureaucracy, he normally comes out on top. Plus, he's in the hospital, kind of, or maybe not his hospital, but it's still reasonably... It's an approximation of his home turf, yeah. Yeah. However, we immediately then move into Jane's home turf, which is a beating two men to death with his arms tied behind his back. Well, to be fair, Jane does only beat one of them to death, and actually he makes more of a hash of it than Simon does. <laughs> so Simon did well. Simon did really well. I'm not entirely convinced that a normal proportioned human being could actually get their handcuffs from behind their back to the front without dislocating both shoulders. Yeah, I was unclear as to what we were meant to think happened there. Did he just <laughs> pop his shoulders out and back in again? He arched his back and managed to get his hands beneath his ass. I'm not quite sure why he put his hand in the guy's mouth as well, so he could bite down, while Simon sticks his knee in the other guy's throat till he passes out, which is pretty clever. So you would have thought Jane would have just used the chain and the handcuffs to strangle the guy. Yeah, which is actually what uh, Mal did back in uh, Bushwhacked. Yeah. Hmm. Or he could have done uh, a Gregor Clegane and just mashed his head into a pulp on the floor. <laughs> Yeah, this is a, a pretty visceral episode, this one. I mean, we were keeping track earlier of episodes with and without someone um, being physically murdered on... Uh, physically murdered, as opposed to all the other types of murdered you can be. Um, <laughs> being um, killed on screen. Of which there were none until Shindig, episode six or something. Oh, that was brutal. It snaps the guy's neck. Yeah. To be fair, though... We think that's pretty brutal. At least it's quick. As we're about to find out, there's a much, much worse fate in store for everyone else. Yeah, we've I've previously said this is the episode where the Alliance, or at least these two guys who are about to turn up, are unambiguously evil. And part of the reason I say that is that this device they've got, that serves no purpose over... It has no advantage over a gun or... A uh, go to this room and get some vaccinations which turn out to not be vaccinations <laughs> or inhale this please. Does this smell of chloroform to you? Exactly <laughs> but instead they've got a uh, well, a pocket sized double bladed lightsaber is how I like to describe it. <laughs> yeah I think that works. Except Isn't it radiates the guy in the death. cap the same guy that was on one of the starships in the early episodes? I think the one could have been the first one. Serenity got picked up for their salvage operation. Um, I didn't look close enough. It I'm wouldn't be that sure. surprising, I suppose. Oh yeah, so this uh, pocket lightsaber of theirs apparently has the resonant frequency of um, blood, I guess, because it just makes people um, go like a, they've been put in the microwave or something. <laughs> it's like it just makes their blood pressure go through the roof and yeah. you just start bleeding from every orifice. Speaking of people putting people in microwaves, have you seen... Um... I hate to think where this is going. Oh, yeah. What's it called? Kick-Ass? No. Yeah. There's a, yeah. There's a bit in that where in there's the industrial a, an, microwave. Industri- it was an industrial microwave at a wood processing plant and someone gets put in it and uh, they're trying to use it to interrogate him and they turn it on and they can't hear this guy because it's so much soundproofing and he's just there clutching at his head and then he full-on gore explosions and just... <laughs> Covers it in red wash. It's a, it's like this, but to the next level. I do have to wonder what their version of Q, what the briefing was. Was we're going to be doing a lot of um, stealth undercover missions. It's vitally important that no one ever gets wind of our existence. 
Therefore, what we want is a weapon that's extremely distinctive, extremely noisy, so that you can hear it rooms away, <laughs> and leaves corpses that couldn't be produced in any other way. Do you think you can do that? <laughs> Just make sure you wear rubber gloves. Oh yeah, rubber gloves that apparently uh, are safety measures, it seems. Yeah, see, now you're using it on a guy who's already unconscious. Why not just lean on him a bit more? Yeah. You're in a hospital that's full of morphine. You're going to use some of that. I want to know where this place is that they shot this. (laughs) It's just huge. That's like some defunct industrial site. I don't this whole sequence now where um, Jane River and Simon are kind of fleeing out through the um, storage industrial parts of the hospital to be pursued extremely slowly by the uh, men in blue. Does have a real nightmarish feel to it to me. They're quite implacable, aren't they? Yeah, they're being chased by something that's well, as you say, implacable, but also moving slowly, but never gets any further behind. You'll probably remember better than I do, Dan. Wasn't there something like that in Buffy? Some of the bad guys. Um, well, to me, it's a bit weeping angelish. Oh man, they are the only thing about the kind of the newer Doctor Who's that actually freaked me out. I think that most people considered those pretty effective. Yeah, you can keep your Daleks, but man, the Weeping Angels, they are <laughs> they are creepy. And Mal and Zoe to the rescue. Yeah, the Mal's lockpick worked really, really well. That's a GTFO. And then Nara turns back <laughs> as well. I was like, oh, what did I miss? <laughs> How was your checkup? <laughs> in your opinion, guys, was that a physical effect when they had the uh, the space helicopter coming in to land in Serenity's cargo bay? It it looked it with the the hair swirl and yeah, the dust. It, it yeah. didn't it didn't look as video gamey as some of the other half second transitions have been. Yeah, I mean they've obviously got a full size mock up there. Yeah, they're walking around it. I just mm. wondered whether they put it on a uh, wire or something or some wheels and swung it in there. Yeah, I think they probably did actually. I mean, there's, there's a lot to be said for doing things physically like that. It's actually cheaper than doing it by CGI. Obviously not having you know, a giant space battle with lasers and hundreds of ships, but little mm-hmm. things like that. So that little bit from Mal, when Jane had just said he'd stay with the preacher next time, and Mal said, oh, you miss out on your big payday. Oh, yeah. That instant, Jane knows that Mal knows. Does he at this stage? I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah. He certainly he fears does. it. Oh, uh, okay, he might not know, no, but he yeah. suspects that, enough. That didn't look it's an uh, intimation, isn't it? Yeah. An intimation that gets uh, subtly reinforced when Mal then smacks him in the head with the spanner. In in the airlock. Blam. You can see Mal's pissed off. Yeah, I think this is his angriest moment in the series to date, coming up here. Yeah, the punishment that he's come up with is uh, Jane is in the uh, in the airlock, which he's going to open one door of. I just wait till they climb out of the atmosphere yeah. and Jane suffocates. I guess that's a cool bit. Well, not a cool bit. It, it was, it's kind of like in the first episode. He kind of threatens uh, Simon with that fate of being ejected. Yeah. Yeah, he does. I've subsequently read that that was put down as a note by the network of, this makes our protagonist seem a bit like a psychopath. Could we change it? <laughs> I guess that's the problem with... Um, moral greyness is that you also need your protagonists to not be paragons at all times I, I don't yeah, that know that was definitely the renegade option <laughs> Jane's pretty certain that Mel's gonna go through <laughs> with this the minute we break out Mel you'll be a lot thinner so my question for you guys is um, do you think Mel would have gone through with this he seems pretty angry 
I don't know. And I don't think you're supposed to. Yeah. Because Jane doesn't know. Yeah, he's certainly scared enough. This is the advantage of doing this as they are going ascending from atmosphere to space rather than just uh, doing it in space is that they have time to talk on the radio about why he deserves it. Yeah. So, I like this bit where... Don't tell him what saying, I did. Where Jane has said, oh, I didn't rat you out. And Mal saying, yes, you did. You rat out any of my crew. You rat me out. Yeah, this is one of the features, along with Mal having 100 hit points apparently, is that he has a massively overdeveloped sense of loyalty. It's it's this point here where Jane says, "What are you going to tell them? Make something up." When he re- you know, he's kind of admitted that what he did was the wrong thing. I yeah, don't the, think the line you're right, that yeah. saves him is not saying, "Please don't kill me." It's uh, it, if you're definitely going to do it, tell them something else happened. I think it builds on what he felt at Jamestown because the, he is the... actually feeling experiencing shame. And I continue to maintain that that's a bigger <laughs> development point than Jamestown was. Yes, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, it does. I guess the difference is that at the end of Jamestown, he was able to just ignore it. It's like, well, that makes no sense. Whereas in this one, he actually had to face the con- the prospect of having that be how he was remembered. Oh, this last interaction between Simon and River, and she said, is it time to go to sleep? Right in the fields, man. The last line, no, it's time to wake up. Yeah, that, was, that got me. I mean, we discussed it during uh, Safe that the relationship between Simon and River really affects me. That gets me right here. Right in the feels. Dad, next week's episode, episode 10. War stories. Yeah, the crew stages a rescue mission when Niska takes Mal prisoner and subjects him to torture. Inara raises eyebrows when she takes a female client, which you two did allude earlier on. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I think it was there was a comment made, wasn't there, by one of them about her taking female clients. All right, those two clauses are not equal in significance to the episode. Yeah, it's interesting that the, the whole uh, Niska thing comes back to haunt them and uh, bite them in the ass. We haven't seen too many consequences for their actions so far, but this is uh, the big one. Well, it kind of show, I'm assuming it's kind of going to show how they were going to get a story arc and come back to points later on in later series, had it not been cancelled. That's it. It would have been nice to see some of the other long-ranging story arcs come to a close. Yeah, I mean, this episode was heavy on the Simon and River and what happened to River. That was the main plot point that got picked up in Serenity, the film. Whereas the other storylines that had been kind of um, seeded were just kind of summarily dispatched. Yeah. Or just not picked up at all. Like um, Shepherd Book and Alliance vs. Empire. Wait, now I'm thinking of a different property there. Um, <laughs> Alliance versus uh, Independence. Nathan's on the big <laughs> countdown already. <laughs> We're still a few weeks away. Right, so episode 10 for next time then. Yeah, definitely. Oh, it's a, it's another rough one. <laughs> See you next time. Bye, internets. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Have you, got, have you got any more terrible sign-offs for us? <laughs> Keep on remedialing. <laughs> That's all, folks. Don't leave it there, Dan, because I will cut that. Love you, bye. (laughs) (laughs) To end this podcast, press 1. Please turn over for other side. (laughs) Due to a breakdown in communication, there is a temporary interruption in service. Please hold the line. That's it for this week, peeps. Tune in next time for more remedial nerding.